Hello, dear listeners, Jay here, and welcome back to another episode of the Over Manga Cast. That time we woke up in a podcast and had to explain manga, our heated adventures over analyzing manga that we find interesting. On this episode, we read Shumatsu no Valkyrie, Record of Ragnarok, chapters 15 to 30, by Fukui Takumi, Umemura Shinya, and illustrated by Ajichika. In this episode, we will cover fights Sasaki Kojuro versus Poseidon and Heracles versus Jack the Ripper. Stay tuned! So getting down to it, as always, here at the top of the episode, we talk about what our familiarity with the franchise is. Uh, This is another one of our revisit episodes. We're returning to the madcap world of Shimatsu no Valkyrie. Really, the only thing that's changed about my uh, experience with it is knowing that the anime, uh, according to the Internet, which is always a reliable source, was mildly disappointing. Uh, I listened to the OP. It's uh, some pretty good maximum the hormone. And that's about it. <laughs> that that is uh, the extent of how much my knowledge has increased beyond the reading we did today. Yeah, Matt here. Uh, I unfortunately watched that anime and uh, it was definitely animated in uh, PowerPoint. <laughs> um. Oof. How about you, Jacob? I still don't like it, so I haven't really made a point of seeking it out. I've still pretended it doesn't exist, so. (laughs) And Jay. Yeah, so my point still stands. Um, I still really enjoy it for the reasons I mentioned in the previous episode. I also did watch the anime, I believe, all of season one. And while it did have some good highlights, it did did not deliver as expected. I watched a clip. I think the thing that really disappointed me was Heimdall didn't scream anywhere near as much as he does in my mind. Hey, no! <laughs> no, my my worst thing about the anime is they turned Zeus, who every single panel he's in, he's contorting into, like, weird shapes or something, and he just stands there. Enthusiasm away. Like, his over-the-top grandpa enthusiasm was, like, removed. Or at least dampened a lot. Background. And that was not a direction I approve of. Also, they did my boy Adam wrong. Ah, now that's the real crime. But we're not here to talk about the anime. We're here to talk about the manga, where we start off with, uh, of course, where we left off last time, the beginning of the battle between uh, Sasaki Kojiro, humanity's greatest loser, and Zeus's older brother, the god Poseidon. I don't know what sort of skincare cream they have down in the ocean that makes Poseidon look like a freaking twink while, when he's older than Zeus. He is a beastie. It's, it's gorgeous. <laughs> I think Zeus just chooses to be an old man is canonically how it works. He adopts that persona because, you know, he likes to be like, I am the god, the father of all gods and all that stuff. So, I mean, he kind of likes to reflect that and be, haha, I'm the old man. Yes, haha, funny old old man. But yeah, speaking of haha, funny old men, we have Sasaki Kojiro, the <laughs> swordsman who never won a match in his entire life. Yet he is humanity's representative in this battle. To give everybody a quick recap of what happened last time when we ended our previous reading, uh, our combatants had just entered the ring and everyone was like, why the hell did we send this old man into this fight? He's just going to get his ass beat. Why, why are we doing this? Humanity's doomed. And then he drew his sword and the enlightened stance he took calmed all of the waters that Poseidon had 
uh, set frothing and everyone in the entire stand went, oh, oh, maybe he has sauce. Mm -hmm. Because specifically how it's determined in um, wherever Ragnarok takes place. I don't actually remember, but like heaven Valhalla. Oh. It's, it's, wherever it's taking place that doesn't really matter but uh where when you're there you are the peak of your physical form mm -hmm. like you are the peak of whoever you're going to be and people are like why is he like a wrinkly old man in here and he's just like i never stopped studying the way of the blade the f form i am now is better than the form i was before and will continue improving indefinitely and that's like his entire shtick and what a shtick it is who who here has played katana zero I have not. I have not. I have seen you playing it, though. Oh, is that like the one hit kill uh, PS1 fighting game? Yeah, uh, yeah not yeah. PS1. No, it's a it, it's a Devolver digital game, which means it is pixelated gore and drug use. I'm thinking of a very different game, but OK. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yes, you are. I didn't realize that uh, Sasaki Kojiro was a gamma null. This man sees through time to analyze his opponent's moves and plays out battles in his brain in order to find the one instance where he can win. That is his superpower. Specifically, it's that he has like a perfect mental picture of anyone he's fought and like the line that we get revealed under the song is like since i've stepped into this arena i've died 18 times because he's just been doing every single attack he could do on poseidon's it's like this is yeah this isn't gonna go well he is standing there sweating and panting because he has already gone through these intense physical attacks and it was at that point that i knew i would uh enjoy kojiro as a combatant he's very cerebral just like Sam. Thank you. It's at this point where we get to our uh, record of Ragnarok regular on time. Uh, always happens about now flashback into one of the combatants past. We continue to take creative license with mythology. I mean, this this one's a pretty big creative license. <laughs> <laughs> this is basically Greek God fan fiction. I will say I don't really have much to say about our reading because basically everything I said last time applies to this as well. I will say at least Poseidon has at least a little bit of a personality. He's less of a cardboard cutout than basically everyone else besides Adam, but not by much. But I do like that at least some effort was given to giving him a like philosophy to overcome. OK, so yeah, like the philosophical battle of this part is that Poseidon is the god amongst gods. His power is an infinitely deep ocean. Yeah. Yes. Which counterbalances um, Kojiro is portrayed as the swordsman who has never won a fight. He is infinitely humble to combat Poseidon's like infinite pride, mm -hmm. which is how Ragnarok does every single fight. It's these two are diametrically opposed, except Lubu versus Thor, which was we both strong. Yeah. Which is... <laughs> hey, look, they stumbled at the opening with their theme, but they got right. They got right into it. I will say, Jacob, I know that you don't like this manga. I understand why you do not like this manga. Your reasoning is valid. We'll get into the second bout that we read later on. In terms of story, I enjoyed that one more. I I did feel the flaws that Jake has pointed out 
a bit more poignantly in this one. Well, yeah, because this one, this one is everything I hate about this manga crystallized into a fight. Ironically, because I actually didn't find Poseidon that compelling. <laughs> yeah, I, I was about to say when Jacob said they gave him some form of personality, I'm like, did I did I read the wrong manga? Because like Poseidon is literally just arrogance. <laughs> Well, the thing I the thing I liked about Poseidon is when he says that gods don't need supporters, that's at least literally anything, which is more than basically anybody but Adam got last time. Because like the other thing is Poseidon doesn't have much of a personality. He's still mostly a cardboard cutout because everybody in this manga is a cardboard cutout. Poseidon is basically just Thor a second time, in all honesty, because this isn't even really Poseidon's story. This is Kanjuro or Kojiro's story. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. Poseidon isn't a character. He's an antagonist. Yeah and, yeah. and I think that's a good assessment, because honestly, basically, like, we didn't even get really a backstory at all for Thor in the first reading section. This is basically like, let's just have a dialogue scene for the antagonist. Which, is, again, is, is the very much the situation where, hey, at least it's above literally nothing. That's something, I guess. You started to say something, Jay? Yeah, so would it be fair that, and I can see, see your points there. I'm seeing, from my point of view, the larger framework of the story is the gods as one collective entity against humanity. But there is a overt favoritism to the humanity side of things where they give most of the human um, representatives, even the crowd so much, um, distinct personality and distinct characteristics that perhaps the gods are supposed to be some kind of enigma of negativity and, and pride. As you said, they're just so indistinguishable and just almost in, um, you can interchangeable. You can almost mm -hmm. swap out whatever. But I think that was... And again, we'll never know unless we ask the mangaka himself, but I think that was done on purpose, you know? Yeah, and I mentioned that the second bout, I enjoyed the characters far more. And, well, the second bout, I'll say it now, involves your boy Heracles, who is part human, so. Anyway, that's getting ahead of us. Through Poseidon. Let's get through this filler episode of the Hercules uh, TV series where... Um... <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying most of what got me through this through this fight was very aesthetic. <laughs> so I'll give yeah. you that. <laughs> yes. Yes, I am aware. This is buff guys hitting each other. This is very much up Jay's hey, alley. Hey, that's very hard. That's, that's not true. OK, Poseidon's not just a buffy. He is bishy. Poseidon's barely buff, actually. He doesn't get a lot. He's yeah, wearing a shirt through most of this, which is a rarity. That is why I wouldn't char characterize him as a buff guy. He's Bishi. And I was watching Bishi guys literally overanalyze and fight each other. It was great. Okay. Mm -hmm. Anyway, as we were saying, there used to be 13 gods on Olympus, with the uh, mighty one being uh, Adamus, the god of conquest, who looks like a jester. His, his design is... I, I can't even bring it to mind, actually. It looks like a Harlequin, really, like like with the it's got like the evil clown kind of makeup. Yeah. For, for the longest time, his aesthetic was I'm like, wait, did they mean Hades? Because that he's got like skulls everywhere. And I'm like, and a scythe, which is the kind of blunt nonsense I expect from the series. 
I, I thought he was Hades, too. I mean, a scythe is an Hades thing, though. I, no, but that's the kind of blunt nonsense I would expect. Death equals scythe. Give a scythe to Hades, even though that's not actually accurate. Well, I mean, he's not death, though, so it's... <laughs> exactly, but we did, we did actually see a profile of Hades uh, in the little bit about how Poseidon is one of the three brothers and it kind of looked like Hades was wearing the berserk armor <laughs> like he had some guts going on and if, if he shows up I'm looking forward to that just is for that Hades aesthetic. on the god list actually I don't remember but um if we do see him I do hope he is just guts because that'd be amazing but uh, the point is that Adamas was actually the oldest of the four brothers, and so he should be the one who rules the cosmos, but Zeus was the one who pulled that straw and was the leader of the universe. And so Adamas was ready to start a rebellion against Zeus, and Poseidon was like, you're amassing forces? You're building an army for this rebellion like you aren't just a god who should walk up and take your place? Man, I, you are a pathetic older brother. Get out of my face. And then he kills him. Well, specifically, he, um, Adamus, like, flips the table going like, you need to respect your elders. I'm older than you. And Poseidon runs up and then looking into his brother's eyes for the first time, stabs him straight through the heart and kills him in one shot, which amongst gods is insane because Poseidon is a god amongst gods who doesn't need your pathetic approval. I, I mean, I read the Odyssey. Uh, that's at least a, <laughs> there's a kernel of the OG character in there. <laughs> the big telling point about what the point of this feat is, though, is not so much that he killed Adamus. It's that when he decreed there has only been 12 gods of Olympus, not a single person or not a single god objected to that claim. Poseidon said it, so it is law. Yep. No, sounds right, boss. You got it. Please don't hurt us. <laughs> so we get that explaining why Poseidon is such an impossible to overcome opponent. And then Kojiro's like, yeah, no, that's what I always do. And he sits down. <laughs> this complete brass balls badass just sits down like, oh boy, this is a toughie, ain't it? <laughs> I, I wish I knew more about uh, Sasaki Kojiro because this entire fight seemed like uh, I was missing a key part of knowing why. Yeah, I, um, that's something that has become more. Um, it, I mean, obviously, this isn't the first time that this has been presented. I believe, you know, with Lubu, that was also something that was a shot in the dark. And I'm like, I've never heard of this person before, but obviously he was significant. You've never heard of the great Lubu? <laughs> honestly, honestly, no. L Lubu's a meme from Dynasty Warriors. Yeah. And, and Jay's probably never played a Dynasty Warriors game, so. Fair. No. But to be fair, it's like I've heard the name Lubu, but I don't know anything about him. I will I will say this much, though. I honestly don't know how much the historical context would matter given the track record of this series, but. But I mean, we also have to be cognizant, and this is what I was saying in our last episode, is you have to be cognizant of cultural bias. I mean, everyone, I'm sure, knows this. I'm not trying to preach to the choir, but it's just kind of like we're not able to see it um, completely objectively because we own, we have a slant on it. We are more familiar with the Western gods, heroes, and not so much, you know, the um, Eastern or Asian prominent figures here. So, I mean, mm -hmm. perhaps there is a leaning towards they did their homework on, you know, some of the um, Asian heroes. And so those are the ones that are actually more accurate. And then that's part of the frustration of like, well, obviously there's lacking on 
you know, the Nordic and Greek heroes and gods. So we were like, kind of like, we see that huge hole there, where if you're coming from an Eastern consciousness, you're like, kind of like, whatever, we have the important, the important side here kind of thing. Yeah. So it might not be as glaring is what I'm trying to say. Mm hmm. Yeah, like my one experience with Sasaki Kojiro is he is a servant in fate. <laughs> and he shows up for about two episodes in Fate Stay Night. So he doesn't do a lot there. I did uh, realize from some quick Googling that he is a fairly prominent kind of folk hero like figure, even though he was like an actual historic person uh, in Japan. So and, and again, this is a Japanese product written by a Japanese author. We've seen the list of heroes, and even if we can't remember all of them off the top of our heads, at least 33% of them were Eastern names. So I, I think when we looked at it, like four of the hum humanities uh, representatives were Japanese people. So the thing about uh, Kojiro is that he we get his flashback. He was a very lackadaisical student at a dojo which greatly infuriated his teacher and he never won a single sparring match but he would just go out into the woods and camp amongst nature and learn from the motions of animals uh various ways to move and fight and use his eidetic memory and great ability to think about how his opponents would fight in order to mentally win battles against everybody he ever fought at a dojo. He never actually went and put this into practice, which is why his actual win-loss record is still all L's. He does grow to the point of being able to best everybody that he ever trained against. And uh, specifically, like, his whole mentality of it is less so, like, he doesn't seem to care about actually winning. He wouldn't gain anything from winning. He cares about self-improvement. He doesn't need to beat someone else down. He needs to become stronger. So when he's in a fight with someone he knows he's going to lose against, he doesn't care to just give up right there because getting hurt would, like, he could get a debilitating injury that could permanently stunt his improvement. If he, like, gets the idea of what a fight with this person would be like and stops, he can train against that image of it and become stronger because we see when he comes back to the dojo uh someone who had challenged him and he had given up immediately he goes uh please fight you look strong now fight me and he's just like i have no interest in that mm -hmm. uh and basically he eventually gets forced into combat and like he does like one move that he doesn't even finish the other guy just knows that if that move had completed he would have been like cut in half with a with a wooden practice sword as well and he's just like Nope, you win. You're definitely stronger. And like the only thing he wanted was to see the master's like the master of the dojo's secret technique so that he could train against it in the woods because he has absolutely no interest in like formalized uh, swordplay mm -hmm. or or tournaments or a win loss record. No, none of that's important. Mm -hmm. All he needs is to go to somebody. And so he like travels all Japan, learning the techniques of the various schools and the ways of the masters and even the sublime powers of the sword saint, which gave me PTSD flashbacks. Sekiro players know. Yeah. <laughs> and throughout all of this, he would eventually in his mind palace fights learn with his friggin null powers learn how to beat these people and then he says that's good enough and moves on with his life right up until he fought uh miyamoto musashi 
And that fight was so intense, was so exhilarating that he didn't surrender. He fought to the death. Hey, do what you love and you never work in a day of your life. <laughs> we know that he lost against Musashi. Uh, and so that's why Musashi like appears in the audience and, you know, is still one of his huge supporters and advocates. Mm -hmm. That's the one thing I really do like about Record of Ragnarok, even though they're like, yes, I fought and I won and I beat this individual. But during our battle, their determination and their prowess really, really inspired me. And even though I, I beat them, I was the one who ended them. They are still inspiring, and I'm, I'm flattered that they are representing, you know, humanity at, in this contest. Oh, the cheering sections are always my favorite part. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and this cheering section is just full of various illuminaries of Japanese martial arts. So it's it's a whole bunch of very serious men in kimonos being very serious, <laughs> and I love it. Which is great, because um, that actually brings us back to the fight where uh, Kojiro, like his cheering section, he like finds a lot of like power in that. And like, he's like, oh, cool. These people are supporting me. That's cool. Meanwhile, Poseidon, the gods start being like, no, we're going to scream Poseidon, god of gods. G-O-G, G-O-G. <laughs> and that boy looks at that audience, gives them the stone cold glare. And I'm like, I don't need the approval of peons. <laughs> like, yeah, it's kind of like, and speaking of mind palaces, it's almost as if, well, not almost. It's like Poseidon has his own grandized vision of what gods are. And it's just in such contrast to, I guess, what everyone else expects from gods, even Zeus and the other um, Olympians themselves. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, let us in on what you're thinking, because obviously you have a the standard that no one else really understands. And if they um, cause cause some kind of like discrepancy or some kind of breaking that breaking that they uh, upset you so much that you just strike them down. It's like no one has a clue of what you're thinking. That's why mm -hmm. I think they're like such a good match. They're both very cerebral in that it's like can it's very difficult to kind of crack and see what's inside of their heads. Mm -hmm. And that aloofness from Poseidon is uh, it, in, a, in a sense his downfall because um, we have Poseidon unleashing his various attacks. And this is the one thing I was disappointed by. You, you, you got all this water in this arena and for Poseidon, king of the sea, to walk in. And all he does is thrust trident at man. Yeah, they yeah. They, they really uh, leaned into Poseidon being uh, god of the earth and sea more so than... Um, mm -hmm. Which might be a good thing. I mean, from... I wish they'd gone leaned more into Poseidon horse lord. But I mean, <laughs> there's just too, there's too many renditions of Poseidon because his domain is very broad, if I'm remembering correctly. It is, yeah. Poseidon's kind of the catch-all of Greek so gods. So it's kind of like if they pick one, that's wrong. Well, the, it's it's largely because of the Mykonian version of Poseidon was actually the king of gods instead of Zeus. So he he got a lot of extra powers and abilities based off of his Mykonian renditions. Mm -hmm. Plus, just how Greek cults worked is um, that's also true. If you beat the cult next town over, uh, you got their powers. Yeah, <laughs> that's why that's Poseidon is works. lord of horses. Yes. Man, he should have fought Lubu. <laughs> <That would laughs> no, no. He should have hemmed it up a little bit. 
Oh, see, it would have been gorgeous. I thought Poseidon was hamming it up because, like, we talked about this last time how Record of Ragnarok is essentially just like a wrestling match. Poseidon was doing like everything a good heel does. Like, they come out on the stage, they say, I hate everyone here, I'm better than everyone. And if they have any fans in the audience, if their fans start cheering, they tell them to shut up. Mm -hmm. Like, because a heel needs to be hated by everyone. That is their purpose in a match. And like that is the show they are performing. He, he he was an excellent heel. I did very much not like him by the end of it. I was disappointed, but I still liked him mm-hmm. because he was very beautiful. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Kojiro is using his uh, predictive abilities to dodge around all of Poseidon's attacks with his thousand image defense. But uh, Poseidon is not attacking as fast or as often as he actually can. And so with his mighty 40 day flood attack creates such an overwhelming assault that not even Kojiro's predictive abilities can get him around it. But the but humanity's greatest loser is not about to give up and think that this uh, is an unsolvable situation, a thing he can't get out of. Because that's when we uh, get the final part of his flashback of his battle with Miyamoto Musashi. He fought somebody so intense, so much better than him that he couldn't contain the excitement and so fought to the death. Mm -hmm. And he adopts that same mindset as one of the coolest things happens (laughs) Uh, because Poseidon broke his sword. Mm hmm. His huge friggin' katana, he snaps it off like halfway up the blade. This is the Valkyrie crest. So uh, Gear is very distraught about this, as Gear is very distraught about everything. (laughs) But uh, Kojiro picks up the broken blade, uh, squeezes it, bleeds onto it, and activates Volund again <laughs> to turn the broken blade into a into a, a paired sword. And he is now dual wielding. I, there, there's something that I, I want confirmation because I didn't care enough about the first part to commit it to memory. Chris's personality had already been established in the previous part, right? I think so. If I'm remembering right, we got a, like a little bit with most of the Valkyrie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mo- most of them don't get introduced, but yeah, his his kind of her her um like bipolar nature had been established, right? I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Okay. It was hinted so. at, like not severely. Like it. I still <laughs> felt this reveal kind of came out of nowhere, but there was the. Well, I never gonna praise this series. I was about to praise this series. Okay, mm-hmm. go ahead. <laughs> God damn it. No, I'm I'm mad because I didn't quite remember if they had actually established that because I don't want to belabor points I made last time because, again, this is basically the same as last time. I hated this fight. There was literally zero tension for me because, oh, Poseidon's just deeper. Oh, he can just image imagine faster. There's no rules to it. When I, at first, I was annoyed by the whole, oh, apparently a broken weapon can just become two now. But then I'm like, wait, didn't they establish her personality? And I thought that that was a really clever way of um, implementing a twist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she she does appear before. like And like her snapping between two personalities is a fine enough way of establishing that as a twist. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh, wait, no, that actually was clever and well done. 
And I will say, I don't want to just be a negative Nancy. So I'd like to propose an alternative to the way that this could be done. Uh, uh, Again, if I could just caveat, you are relying on the memory of people who have not read this in quite some time. Uh, That's true, too. That's (laughs) true, too. It came out of nowhere because I had not read. I I think she appears when they're doing the because it's during the interstitial with Adam, right? Yeah, it's the intermission after Adam. Yeah, they're referencing who will be their sister, who will be chosen next. And they reference. Like they establish the fact that she has this dual personality. Yeah. Like that's clever. That's how you do a twist like this. So if I may, so that I am not just the negative Nancy, propose an alternative. Why do they have the winner of the last fight just leave? Because if you establish what one of the fighters can do in the first fight, then you can have actually, like, you know what any of their abilities are and mean in the second fight. Mm. Because the thing that pissed me off about the first reading, and it happened again here, is nobody's powers mean anything. So nothing is surprising to me because it's all an ass poll. Nothing is based off of accurate mythology. And to clarify the point I tried to make last time, It doesn't matter if you accurately represent the Western characters. If you're not going to accurately represent characters, you need to establish what they can do so we have an idea of what to expect. That's the problem that I have with it. So having the characters who win previous fights be in the next fight would be a way of establishing... Because, like, just for example, having Adam beat Thor to establish what Adam's abilities can do would be a great way of doing that. I mean, but if you do that, then you've got just like an endless power struggle where... Yeah, and that takes away, that becomes a battle royale as opposed to an organized wrestling match. You're changing the format of this conflict. I loathe the format. The format (laughs) is the problem Uh, for me. and, And that's fine, but you're changing the entire thing, which is not the intention of the manga. I also don't understand why you're saying I'm changing the entire format. There's still 1v1 matches. It's just when one person wins, the next person comes in. Respectfully, I disagree. That drastically changes the format if the winner of one fight continues on. Yeah. Because then it's not a team match, it's who's the strongest. This is this is splitting hairs a bit thin, but... I genuinely don't see how that's just about power, because that actually is where strategy comes from, because you can see what people's abilities are and counter the abilities, as opposed to just, I had this secret power all along, which is what we have now. Uh... Where where were we? Um, we were uh, Poseidon's forty day flood uh, right after his uh, sword broke. Right, and the Revolun. Because the the main takeaway from this is that it's not only that the two sword style was like, uh, it's that um, I'm blanking on the guy who killed him, but that was his technique. Musashi. Musashi, like the two sword style was his technique. Was mm-hmm. the big thing that got like the audience going like, oh, he's using my technique. But this isn't a mere imitation. He's using this as if it was his own. Mm-hmm. Even yeah. while I was killing him, he was learning my technique. Like, yeah, and he's using all the different like techniques from the various masters that he had gone against in his uh, different flashbacks, which I thought was pretty sick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and like it's got like the audience pumped up, and they're all like. <gasps> 
those that's my technique and it's like it's a culmination of all of humanity's swordsmen's because apparently Japan is the only country that feudal <laughs> Japan is the only country that needs swordsmanship but yeah yeah nah I'm Look, I understand the metaphor. I know what you're going for, but at yeah. the same time, come on, we got we got swordsmen all over the planet who are very cool. <laughs> Look, See, that one that one I don't mind so much because there's like an emphasis on sword techniques specifically in Japanese culture. So, like, honestly, I think that that's fine to do because it's like. And that's if also- you look at, for example, if you look at, for example, like medieval knights, there are sword techniques for middle, medieval knights, but like they're not named. Like, there's a special emphasis put on Japanese sword techniques over other cultures. So I honestly think that that actually worked really well. That, that is fair. A knight is not trained in the sword as a way of life. They are trained as a sword as a way of staying alive on the battlefield. Like, yeah. Yeah, there's a special emphasis in Japanese swordsmanship that I think was well illustrated. And if you want to read too deep into it, which... the Literally the name of our podcast. Yes. Um, <laughs> This is the culmination of all the techniques of one warrior culture in one part of the world. And that was enough to surpass a god because, spoiler alert, Kojiro wins. But is so like, imagine what some world wanderer who learned from literally every culture would be capable of. Mm-hmm. Well, there's also an alternative that's equally valid, which basically comes to the same place that it's very heavily implied that um, Kojiro trained in death. So it's totally reasonable to imagine the idea that he, like, in death fought against other dead people from around the world who also had various sword techniques. Mm-hmm. So maybe he did fight against, you know, a medieval knight with a with an arming sword and a mm-hmm. and a kite shield. Or like a French fencer or something, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and either of those get you to basically the same place. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the the main thing about this is um, we've we've been getting hints of uh, every time um, Kodro has been trying to use his mental thing to um, fully analyze Poseidon to like understand like his technique, and he's kept holding back from him, so he's not been getting a clear picture. He needs to keep going deeper and deeper into the ocean. And it's at this final stage where he finally hits the bottom. We get like this really cool panel of like just flooding through him as he realizes like he pushes past the the boundaries of the limits of humanity and scans all of creation as if he were a god. And like since his entire thing has been training from like the taking inspiration from nature, like he is scanning all of creation. Mm-hmm. And in that final like moment, he achieves Zen. And that's the point he wins the battle. And in fact, he even tries to like say the battle's over and Poseidon goes, nope, I'm attacking you because I'm full of pride. And the fact you are looking me in the eye angers me. And he like launches in for an attack and like a thousand years swallow tail sword it i I feel bad because this is actually like his technique uh like mythologically uh it's the now i'm blanking on it It, it's like the swallow tail because it's like how a Mm -hmm. bird swoops up and he cuts off um poseidon's arm and shatters his trident which is kind of amazing because this is the first time we see a god like actually severely injured Zeus kind of, but he mostly got beat to a pulp. That's a little different. This is this guy gets his arm cut off. He gets maimed. 
I'm, I'm of two minds about it. Cause in the moment I was like, yeah, yeah. Oh my God. Ah, <laughs> you know, freak, mm-hmm. yeah, like freaking out at the rising tension afterward. I'm like, okay, we did this like two other times with the it's over five times moment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that is, that is how Ragnarok as a monthly series works. It, a chapter ends with a cliffhanger because it's a monthly series. <laughs> but like throughout the course of this entire chapter, it's Kojiro cutting off more of Poseidon's limbs and cutting down more and more of the trident to the point where Poseidon has to grip the trident in his teeth and lunge at him. I, I mean, more and more. It happens twice. It goes into his other hand. He cuts off that arm and then he bites it with his teeth like. But like with the way that this manga does, it's pacing in terms of paneling. That's still most of the chapter. <laughs> and it's it it feels very when will it end ah! but like from my point of view like that was the point though the fight had already ended oh it was absolutely the point but it again i'm of two minds about it in the moment absolutely adored it afterwards i'm like okay that was exhausting but like that that's kind of it, it's kind of supposed to be exhausting though because as you can see poseidon is portrayed as like more and more erratic because he is a dog fighting against, like, like, he has lost. That is a concept completely foreign to him. So he is throwing himself against the wall and he dies cursing humanity. Like, we're on the board. I was just going to say that that um, is really interesting because, correct me if I'm wrong, but don't, don't gods also hold, like, dignity? I don't know. There is a dignity in defeat. Mm-hmm. They don't sit there and just, like, curse you and... I, I think Poseidon's role in the story is, like, the epitome of pride. What has happened is that pride has been broken. But that's what I'm saying. I'm saying that he, ironically, he's trying to portray this type of god that is just impenetrable. And anyone who deviates from what he perceives as godly behavior is wrong and needs to be destroyed. Mm-hmm. But ironically, in his end, he demonstrates, quote unquote, yeah. ungodly behavior. And it's just kind of like, wow, you can't even hold yourself to your own standards in a sense. Yeah, I think you have the I think you have the grasp of it. We get our intermission as we're want to do. Kojiro standing there in a beam of sunlight, looking like he's about to topple over from exhaustion, like winning for once feels pretty good, huh? Yeah, yeah. The I'm, I'm going to be honest. This was a scene I knew was inevitable when he was introduced as humanity's greatest loser. I'm like, well, relief. He, he needs to get out with one win. They're not going to. But um, we get the intermission, which I uh, really enjoy because um, it uh, has Loki in it, who this who up until most of this fight even has been like, haha, this is hilarious. I love this. Oh, Ragnarok, what a silly thing. Uh, the second Poseidon dies, he's like, this is not a fucking joke. We were laughing that humanity could do anything, but nope, nope. Now it's gotten real and I hate it. <laughs> and we we get a few panels of gods just like being like, what we lost? That that's literally not possible. Oh, no. And I think Shiva comes back, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. It's obvious Shiva's pretty much a main main squeeze right now. Shiva really wants to fight, but then keeps (laughs) getting keeps getting uh, Greek gods jumping in and 
Yeah. Yeah. Greek gods, it's, it's always Zeus. Because Zeus, Zeus like, just hates the rage causes Zeus to heal out of his bandages from the hospital Adam put him in. Um, and comes out and goes like, hey, Shiva, I know you want to get a point back for all gods, but you don't understand. Greece has a debt to pay. <laughs> Excuses. We, we've got Zeus, um, Ares, who's... Gatekeeping. They're not even gatekeeping. They're, they're being like a little gang. Yes. He's got a debt to pay. And we cut to um, uh, Broomhilda and uh, I always forget the little one's name. Greer, I think. Greer. Uh, they are in the hallway uh, and she's like, sister, sister, who are you picking to fight next? And it's like, who do you think the gods will pick to fight next? And then big brother Herc comes up. Yay. Because uh, he's uh, he's Heracles. He's he's big. He's buff. He's uh, bless my soul. Herc is on a roll. <laughs> he is a brother to the Valkyries. They are all demigods who are part human, I, I think was what. They're closest to humanity, mm -hmm. which we're not entirely sure what that means. The ones who are supposed to, well, literally be the advocates and be the helping hand mm -hmm. of humanity, whereas gods don't interact with humanity that much. Which, um, except to be apocalyptic assholes. Yeah, except to be assholes. Which is Heracles uh, has a great scene right here where he's just like, yeah, don't worry. I'm going to fight on the side of gods because, you know, I'm a being of justice and I will not renounce my vow. But when I win this match, I will personally ask uh, Zeus as my favor to spare all of humanity. At which point I'm like, well, he's done. <laughs> or or Zeus yeah. could just say no. Like, I'm I could saying. see Zeus doing that too. That's also true. Or not. I mean, Zeus is one of those, he's just, you can't really read him because he's so random. Like, even other gods were like, he's so random. We can't read Zeus. He just kind of is his own. It, what is he doing? It took, me a, it took me a second, actually, because I, I kind of missed this. I'm like, wait, hold on. So if Heracles loves humanity, why didn't he vote to spare them in the extinction thing? But then I'm like, oh, wait, no, he's a demigod. They don't get to vote. Uh, they would have told mm -hmm. him to shut up. Because yeah. otherwise the Valkyries would have voted. Yeah. The only reason that the Valkyries had any say was because uh, Brunhild called Ragnarok. They didn't even have any say. Like, they, she enacted the law. Which, by the way, was a joke. Ha ha ha. Real funny. Mm -hmm. Until Poseidon died. Oh no. And now all the gods are like, well, we can't let them get away with this now, can we, boys? Poor Shiva gets pushed back again. <laughs> yeah. 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 He really wants to go out there and beat ass do, do right by his uh, position of the triumvirate and destroy the universe. But no, he keeps getting superseded. Poor guy. <laughs> uh, he'll get his day eventually. He he sure keeps appearing on uh, covers. Uh, <laughs> he's so beautifully illustrated. He does have a decent character design as far as they go. Yeah. Um, but anyway, we reveal the arena for the next match, which um, was personally a nice sigh of relief for me because I'm like, cool, it's not just going to be a Greek Colosseum background, which is real easy to mass produce. Mm -hmm. <laughs> As um, it is revealed that the arena is going to be 18th century London. Oh, what could that be? To which the entire audience, gods and humans alike, are like, wait, who agreed to this? Because this clearly... <laughs> This is clearly a home field advantage play. 
uh, Heracles revealing exactly what his personality is going to be this turn. That's just like, of course, I would never not accept any challenger's request blindly. I will win because I am just. And I'm like, okay, that's probably, that was the point I was like, okay, Herc is going to die. Yeah. <laughs> Your boy Herc is not making it out of this one. He, he was zero to hero in no time flat though. Get ready for all those jokes. <laughs> yep, but um, it's great because uh, it's at this point we're fully revealed that the fighter for humanity this round is going to be Jack the Ripper. That low life, low life murderer. Jack the Dripper. This man's thick, <laughs> immaculate. His shoes fresh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah. Sam, stop sipping. <laughs> yeah. which uh little little uh bonus for the audience you should know that um if ever in a japanese manga you see 18th century london they're only ever referring to jack the ripper no yeah. one else <laughs> look i'm just happy that we aren't in the fate apocrypha universe and jack the ripper is a man instead of a lolly what do you have against well, lolly sam i i don't like jack and fate apocrypha okay <laughs> i don't i just don't <laughs> You have conflicted emotions, is that it? Mm-mm. Mm. No, okay. my emo my emotions are very clearly dislike. Now, the now back to Record of Ragnarok, I do have conflicted emotions, as most of the crowd does, because obviously hum the uh the humans want to root for the human. Yeah, but he's a he's a deplorable murderer. It's Jack the fucking Ripper. <laughs> yeah, like it's uh no one is happy with it. Greer is very unhappy with this. Brunhild does otherwise, like, this entire time, just like, no. Aha, uh -huh, no. you've unveiled my trap card. Brunhild is actually specifically this entire fight. Every time yes. she's up, she's just like, look, I set up this fight because this is going to be an easy win for us. Yeah, she's basically just picking people who will win. Like, she's like, I love my brother like you do, but uh, humanity comes first. We've got yep. our job to do. Yep. Yeah, and obviously taking someone who is like inherently loathsome to cheat and trick their way through the like obsessively justice focused character. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. yep. cheat to win. It's not even cheating. Like that's it's a fight he, to the death. No holds bar. It's just he's yeah. just exceedingly tricksy. Yep. Which uh, is pretty great because the first thing we see is he's got a his divine weapon is a giant pair of scissors, scissors, which Hercules immediately destroys. Yeah. And then in, we see insert, Jack in, insert your kill a kill reference here, <laughs> <laughs> which then we see Jack uh, discard the broken scissors immediately and then pull some Bugs Bunny shenanigans as he <laughs> runs around the corner to drink tea because a good gentleman <laughs> always respects a good tea time. <laughs> for that is the essence of a gentleman and i don't think we're gonna really focus on this much but the uh the side characters for this hate jack because they are sir arthur conan doyle and william shakespeare i i love sir doyle all right <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna say sir doyle looks nothing like any interpretation you could ever have of sir arthur conan doyle I also like the implication that, like, he actively tried to find Jack the Ripper as, like, inspiration for one of his novels, but couldn't. Like, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle is literally Sherlock Holmes. Oh. He said, even my Sherlock could not solve this. And I'm like, wait, is the cheering section going to have Watson? I <laughs> no. thought it was Watson, too. But, like, <laughs> Jacob, you, you just made me realize something. I think in the Ragnarok universe, 
Sir Arthur Conan Doyle is like Batmaning his Sherlock Holmes at night because he looks like Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. <laughs> He's got the pipe and everything. Like. I think he must, because he, he sure knows a lot about Jack the Ripper, too, because he's like, he foiled me at everything. He was my Moriarty. I mean, uh, oh, oh, no, I, I meant Sherlock Holmes. Yes. No, I, yes, yes, Sherlock Holmes is a fictional character. Yes. <laughs> also, William Shakespeare is a real fat guy, and I thought that was funny. Good old Bill. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, their, their cheering section is literally just... Oh, also, like, Scotland Yard. Like... Mm-hmm. It's writers and police officers are sitting together for the Jack the Ripper cheering section. And it's always fun when they're called up because they're always like, I hate cheering for this guy. Everyone's conflicted. Why are we on the side of this asshole again? Oh, right. Because if we don't, we all get dusted. Jack uh, is observing tea time. See, this is another thing of why I'm conflicted. I love trickster heroes like Loki and Hermes are some of my favorite gods it, because they're trickster heroes. They pull shenanigans. They break ankles. I love that sort of thing. Why is it this asshole? <laughs> so one thing I will really love about this fight is um, while Jack is doing all his like trickster hero stuff, Loki is on the sidelines going like, that's some stuff I should do during my fight. And I'm like, oh, that's right. Loki is on the board. <laughs> Loki's like, ooh, I should take some notes. We get a uh, a very distinct idea of what Jack's fighting style is going to be because he runs away after the scissors are broken. Um, and Hercules in chasing uh, Heracles, I'll pronounce it right, in chasing after him, uh, almost runs straight into a wire trap that's set at eye level. And it only gets more um, R-rated Bugs Bunny from there. Yeah, you were right with that uh, comparison, Matt. Because mm-hmm. he's got a uh, a bunch of piano wire above Hercules uh, Heracles's head, got me doing it, Sam. Uh, <laughs> with uh, knives tied to each and every one of them. So when he tries to remove the piano wire, uh, it it causes all of the uh, uh, Dio knives to fall out of the sky. Is this the time uh, Jack the Ripper has that line about like, oh my, you're not. Carrying an umbrella, you must, because London is well known for its rain. That, <laughs> that happens a little bit later, but that's set up here because it rains knives, which <laughs> don't do anything at first. Because they are mundane knives and Heracles is a god, so god they immunity. Just, they just ping off of his massive packs. This boy is built. But uh, once Heracles is good and conditioned to... Uh, not care about these knives, all of a sudden they start sinking into him and he's spitting blood. What's this? What trickery? (laughs) And Jack goes, you fools. You thought that the scissors were my volund, but I lied. It is this magic pouch. And he, he drops my favorite line as he pulls out a bunch more knives. And he's like, this pouch can create divine weapons. Everything I use is not ready made, but made to order. For that is the essence of a gentleman. <laughs> as he's striking a pose with his Dio knives. And I'm like, I, I, I hate how stylish he is. 
I love how stylish he is because it was the thing is we don't get stylish Jack. We get his entrance, but everyone gets a stylish entrance. We get all this stylish like monologuing after he immediately turned tail and ran away earlier. Like, <laughs> yeah, so, like even in the context of the story, Jack is hamming it up. He's hamming it up so hard. But yes, uh, he's got his magic bag, which he can use to produce divine weapons, though he, he seems to favor knives. Uh, and it's about time that we start getting to those flashbacks. Ooh. Yep, the, the Heracles, we get a flashback to um, how the Disney TV show was canon. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, speaking, speaking of uh, uh, Greek mythology fan fiction. Uh, this I one's didn't... better because this is you've got to summarize Hercules lore into this is good enough within the context of the universe. Like, mm. well, no, that's that's exactly yeah. what I mean. Yeah. Like, yeah, this is this is nothing to do with actual um, myth. Uh, <laughs> myth. This is its own thing entirely. Oh, I when we get to the end of this, my favorite part I laughed at when I read. But <laughs> but we uh, see. Uh, a young boy in Thebes back in 2000 BC getting beaten up by some bullies and who should run in but this scrawny fuck named Alcides? Yeah. Al Al Alcides? Alcides, I think. Alcides. Alcides, yeah. And they have a real Deku at the uh, at the start of chapter one, you know, lying there with uh, the person he tried to save, both of them beaten up. <laughs> Alcides says that uh, I will always be on the side of justice. Nothing will stop me. And so he trains his whole life and he becomes a pretty decent hero running around saving people from unjust situations. Well, no, he trains for like a year. Like he goes from a, a young child to a teenager. Oh, yeah, zero, zero to hero in no time flat. Yep, zero to hero just like that. I did say it was 2000 BC and, you know, every thousand years time for the gods to show up and be dicks. Mm -hmm. At least this time, humanity uh, came out in favor in their vote uh, about a 60 40 split on spare mankind. But we do have to make an example of somewhere. Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah already dust. Uh, Thebes will do. Since Thebes is in Greece, uh, naturally, the Greek god pantheon have to be the ones who deal with this. So uh, Ares, in all his uh, tiny hat, tiny thong, uh, massive muscle glory, <laughs> rides to lay waste to Thebes. He's literally shaped like a Dorito. <laughs> he is. This entire section did make me like Ares as a character, at least oh. a bit. Hold on, how does liking Ares as a character not happen during the Adam fight where he's sipping tea and going like, I never knew a fight could this be this intense. I, okay, I thought he was funny there in a ridiculous okay. way. This actually made me be like, okay, I could, I can see something in this character that I actually okay. enjoy beyond the meme. But yeah, who should stand in his way? But uh, one scrawny boy, uh, Alcides is like, he goes full Gandalf. You shall not pass. And uh, Ares for a second is just like impressed with the courage of this kid mm -hmm. and just like, oh, well, then, well, we still got to punish Thebes. So back down, boy, you're just going to get hurt. Like, hey, you guys evacuated already. We're going to go punish the like city. He's like, no, come on. No. Come on. What's that behind your back? I stole Ambrosia. I'm going to drink it now. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, we get one of my favorite lines, legitimately one of my favorite lines in the entire manga. As Alcides is standing before, you know, this divine ensemble, and he says, you're offering me this opportunity for you to spare my life. 
to spare a life is just a whim of the gods. No different to your whim of assigning sin, huh? He has a little speech about how there are good and bad people in that city. There are people who are begging for your forgiveness and people who uh, are just cowering in fear and you're just going to slaughter them all arbitrarily. And that is uh, the moment that did make me love Alcides slash Heracles because talking shit to God is the truest form of man. So <laughs> yeah, that's that's Heracles as a character. Like, <laughs> yeah, as Matt said, he drinks the ambrosia and the ambrosia will burn to cinders. Anyone who is not uh, pure. Uh, of, I forget exactly what was the condition. Was. A was true it? hero. A I true think. hero. Yeah. yeah, because this is this is just uh, the Hercules TV series. This is dangerously close to the Hercules TV series, which I know <laughs> is entirely a coincidence because there's no way that made it to Japan. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it turns out the mangaka is actually just like a huge fan and wanted to write a Hercules the TV series fan fiction, and it turned into this. I would believe more the Hercules TV show, like uh, the like the Zenus. Like that. Oh, that that one. Yeah, <laughs> I believe that more. Uh, Alcides seems to crumble under the power of the ambrosia burned to a cinder. And Ares is like, well, yeah, standard stupid human thing. Going to go wreck this city now. And then out of the smoke, uh, the club that Alcides was wielding gets in Ares face and he says, I told you, you shall not pass. And your boy is built. <laughs> He went like Super Saiyan 3. He's got the long hair. He's got the huge muscles. He grew like three feet. He's now taller than Ares. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and it's great because he, he's essentially like, I'm not going to move. And then Ares is just like, oh, well, I guess we're fighting. But then his army charges and he's like, no, you fools. Ares recognizes that this guy uh, passed the test of the Ambrosia and has the power of Zeus. And he's like, maybe we should just back down. And his army charges anyway. And he's like, no, you idiots, you can't win. OK, I guess we're fighting now. Might as well commit. Twelve hours later, the entire army has been killed by Hercules. And uh -huh. Ares is getting his shit knocked in, really. Heracles pulls a headbutt move that firmly plants Ares' nose somewhere behind his right eyeball. Zeus shows up like, all right, that's enough, boys, because Ares was about to die. Mm -hmm. Well, Ares says that it that he he was now in danger, like they're like before he thought he could win the fight. Now he's like, eh, this is actually a lot more even than I thought it was, because uh, very much so they're they're building um heracles as the uh underdog in this fight that that is true actually yeah because they're trying basically they're saying that Air that heracles and Ares are roughly equal Ares has kind of been shit on the entire time which is actually kind of accurate to how he was mythologically but yeah kind of it, it's hard to be the black sheep of olympus but Ares pulled it off <laughs> anyway at, at this point um zeus basically accepts uh Heracles as like a god with the condition uh, Heracles has that you spare Thebes and you actually completely stop interfering in the affairs of man altogether. Mm -hmm. And uh, Zeus is like, OK, OK, do these 12 labors and then you will be christened as a god. All righty then. And also, do you want to be named after my wife? <laughs> sure. I, I love that line because it's like, why is he called Hercules if we're cutting that part out? Then, shut up. We really love my wife. We're naming her after. <laughs> I, I, I mean, mythologically, Heracles was named 
that which translates to the glory of Hera in an attempt to not make Hera angry about Zeus fathering another bastard with a different woman. It didn't work, but they tried. I just loved how that line is just thrown at the end of the flashback. Yeah. <laughs> this is why he's called Heracles. Okay. Yep. <laughs> Works for me. Zeus is not a good team's husband. Just at all. He's not considering we don't even see his wife. Um, <laughs> we we really don't. No, we we full stop don't. We literally yeah. don't see Hera at all. That being said, if Hera shows up, she would definitely just beat up Zeus in this. Like, and I would pay to see that. Like that is a hundred percent what the the manga like would do. She's going to be the secret final boss character <laughs> at the at the end of the Ragnarok. Oh, because she was just like she was out doing something for Aaron. She's like, wait a second. Did you guys hold the meeting without me? Zeus, did you say you were going to kill all humanity? <laughs> oh, man, if that's actually it, I think it might redeem this entire thing for Jake. It depends on how long it takes to get there, I suppose. But uh, we we finish up with Herc's flashback right as he is unleashing one of his mighty uh, super attacks. The Herculean Exodus is the name of the basically this entire suite of moves. And each one is a reference to one of the 12 labors of Hercules. I, I liked this because fun references to mythology. <laughs> His uh, techniques were named and also did different things. Weren't literally the exact yes. same thing. Very distinct, distinctly different flights, fights. I liked them for two completely different reasons. I, I did appreciate how the Poseidon fight acknowledged Poseidon wasn't going to be an actual character and it was going to be um, Kojiro's story. And it's half the length. So, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> I, I liked the Poseidon fight strictly for Kojiro. Mm -hmm. Which you should. That was what it was written for. Poseidon, perhaps, perhaps, and this is just me speculating, maybe Poseidon's just not that popular in Japan. So they're just kind of like they didn't really... Sort of the way that what happened with Lubu. Yeah, where it's just kind of like, oh, these gods are super well-known and super popular in Japan, so we'll definitely hype those up. Oh, I guess we need to sprinkle in a couple more of these gods. Well, hold on. We've got a we've got an empty spot on the guard roster. Uh, what about Nikola Tesla? That works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, does I, know, I know we have the Buddha and Susanoo no Mikoto coming up in the god roster. So, so. wait, hold on. Isn't the Buddha? What, hold on. He's a god. I thought he was on humanity's side. I don't I don't remember. I'm pretty sure he's on the God side. Oh, he probably is. Actually, that makes a lot of sense. OK, we got to get back to uh, Herc with his special because, um, again, going back to the wrestling, uh, Herc is a face. He's a, he's a baby face like he's like clean cut, like uh, he, he's a, he is a little buff for a baby face. Actually, he might just be a face, mm -hmm. but he's so face. He's so pure good boy that he needs a secret. He doesn't just get one secret technique that pushes his body beyond the limits and will kill him if he uses it too much. It's all 12 of his labors. Because uh, specifically, he has a tattoo on his one arm that um, upon, ascend upon ascending to godhood, which uh, Herc decides to describe as descending into divinity, which I really loved because that made Zeus mad. <laughs> that was so good. So he he had to pass 12 labors and upon passing each like contest, he gained a secret technique that would burn up some of his divinity, which is represented by how much of his skin is covered by this tattoo, which um, so each time he uses one of these 12 labors, his tattoo grows larger and larger with uh, the audience informing us if it ever reaches all over him, he will die like Poseidon did. 
Mifilhelm. And the spreading of the tattoo is agonizing. <laughs> they do say even one centimeter of growth would keep a normal god in pain. And I'm like, I'm going to assume you mean a non-combatant god. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> that's a lot of centimeters of growth, just like his chest alone. Like, mm-hmm. he is a big boy. <laughs> oh, yeah. But uh, he uses the Nimian lion technique, which uh, admittedly, this one is just big club swing, do big swing good. But it creates a huge AOE blast like he's a Lionel out of uh, Breath of the Wild, knocking Jack away. In the process, it knocks off his monocle. We haven't mentioned it yet. He's had this weird steampunk monocle. He also has like a steampunk hat, but that that doesn't matter because we can reveal he just picked up that hat off the street. Mm-hmm. But the monocle... When it breaks, the inside is gears, and it it never explains why. I'm 99% sure it's just aesthetic. Yeah. Oh, Probably. Yeah. Jack is a man dripping in drip, so of course he would get a steampunk gear monocle just for the look. But it, it does reveal that when the monocle breaks, one of his eyes is incredibly beautiful, and that's it. No, I'm kidding. Um, he, he's a spiral being. This is Gurren Lagan. <laughs> he's got the spiral energy mark in his right eye. <laughs> and specifically, his right eye is allow, is able to see the colors of emotion inside people. Mm-hmm. Which um, I'll, I'll cut to his flashback because that happens like pretty much right here, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. He he goes, Subarashi. He goes like, oh, you're so pretty. Because he, he sees the emotion of Heracles of like. It's his pride and determination. Unflinching nobility. Mm-hmm. He's like, this is my first time with a god as he's doing the yandere face. You all know <laughs> the one. Yeah, he, he goes, he goes real yandere. Uh, man, Jack the Ripper did some great faces. But um. His, uh, his flashback starts with my favorite part because it, it uh, he is a street rat um, just going through uh, the garbage of a restaurant. He is the boy. Yeah, yes. yeah. He is not named. <laughs> but um, so what happens is the restaurant owner comes out and says like, hey, kid, what are you doing here? That's my garbage. If I was just going to give it away for free, I'd give it to my customers. Hey, because apparently he's real uh, New Yorker. I don't know where I'm doing this <laughs> accent for. Uh, Honestly, I mean, given the design, that's not that far off. He but does radiate that energy. He, he basically starts hitting this kid for if you're going to eat my garbage, you need to pay me for it. Also, get out of here. And he's and that's when Jack reveals as a street rat, I needed to learn how to survive. And by learning how to survive, that gave me the magic power to see people's emotions inside of them with my right eye. OK, uh, <laughs> sure, buddy. I, I mean, Yes, we have established this is a universe where people get magic powers by being good at things. So mm-hmm. fair. <laughs> yeah. And he sees the emotion of the angry shopkeep is like dominance and spite and disgust. Mm-hmm. And so uh, he grovels to appeal to those emotions. And the guy's like, all right, take your garbage and get out of here. Just don't do it again. Mm hmm. Well, actually, no, he, he says get out of here. And it's revealed Jack had actually already stolen several loaves of bread in his clothes. Uh, so the, the, the restaurateur he was thought a real he was. Houdini. Yeah, Jack, Jack's real good at pickpocketing at this point in his life. It's uh, mm-hmm. sad. Well, he needed to because uh, as yes. it's revealed, um, Jack is the or his, he is he's, the boy currently. Yeah, he is the boy. The boy is a son of a whore, literally. Mm-hmm. 
Yep, he lives in a brothel with his at, mother, who is a prostitute. At brothel, brothel. <laughs> You're right. My my other favorite part is every time we see an uh, English street sign, it always just states the nature of the establishment. Brothel, yeah. restaurant, pub. Oh, no, my favorite part is that clearly um, the sign in universe was uh, written in English. And so the text box that appears is supposed to be in Japanese. Oh, yeah. So. But this is a translation. So it's brothel text box brothel. <laughs> <laughs> that is pretty funny. But it has been revealed uh, because uh, while his mother is servicing a client, mm-hmm. uh, he hangs out with this drunk woman who is also a child of a prostitute, but she is now working. Yeah, I'm yeah. Sure I was actually confused, like, before we were introduced to um, Jack's mother, because I was like, is that your older sister? Because it was implied that, you know... The, yeah, the text is kind of weird. Like, he, she says, I was also born here, while stating how uh, the boy was born. And it, it implied they're siblings, but I don't think they are, based on just everything that happens. I don't think they are. It, it, it was just kind of... I, I probably just misread it then, because it is then revealed also that um, the boy's mother had five abortions before him, so probably doesn't have any siblings. I thought she was the madam at first. She's a little young to be a madam, because like her whole thing is she's complaining that Jack's mother is too old, and why is she too not getting clients? Too old and stealing all the clients. Mm-hmm. He's like, they must they must like have that kind of fetish or something, I don't know. These guys are weird. London's full of milf hunters in the 18th century. I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, you're not wrong, but <laughs> I won't. Shame. Not yet. <laughs> they saw the queen and were like, who? Oh, jeez. Let's get back on track, people. Uh, so what is revealed is um, from that story that uh, his mother had uh, six pregnancies of which she only kept Jack. He interprets that is that my mother must have loved me the most. Mm-hmm. And with his magic emotion eye, he sees the pure, brilliant color of love emanating from his mother. Because um, as most people are like a weird like spiral of emotions, his mother is nothing but that pure emotion coursing through her. She's the one color of love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then what? tragedy strikes. His mother read the newspaper. Oh, no. (laughs) Yes. One of her long term clients got married. I felt a pang of sadness just for her, just because, you know, probably don't know. But it's implied that a lot of these clients, if they get attached to a particular prostitute, you know, they'll sell them dreams of, oh, I'll save you or I'll take you out from here. And, you know, they give them a light at the end of the tunnel. Mm -hmm. And obviously he was one of those folks who did that. And now she's feeling discarded. Because he was a struggling playwright and he would always tell her, baby, once my plays start making money, apparently all the Londoners and New Yorkers. Yeah, I was about to say, is this taking place in the Bronx, Sam? We're kind of (laughs) doing a radio play the wrong way. (laughs) Uh, Once his plays start making money, he'll come back for her and, you know, lift her out of poverty. And Mm -hmm. then he just goes off and marries some noble. In her distraught rage, she reveals that she never actually cared for the boy. He was a ticket, her meal ticket, essentially. Attach herself to that particular playwright. Mm-hmm. Yep, so it's it's revealed. She never really cared about him, only what he could give her. And that's when Jack comes to the realization that the color that was all over his mother was not 
true love it was greed and so he uh he snaps well he doesn't snap like she snaps at him just in disgust she attacks him first yeah he he is attacked and defends himself but then that quickly switches from this is defending myself to i'm a serial killer now we have the moment of uh you know shit has gotten entirely real when the black and white manga has colored typeface yeah because Jack says, I will free you from your grief. And his text starts bleeding into red. Mm-hmm. It's honestly a very, very creepy panel. Mm-hmm. Especially because the very next panel is him choking his mother. Mm-hmm. Because uh, he wants to fill her with the color of fear, because at least then she will be beautiful. Like He emphasizes that one particular color, if it's not diluted by another color, is, is when the emotions are the most beautiful. The easiest thing for him to do is fear. But that, that's obviously not what he's thinking about in this moment. This is just what's happening. He sees her start to feel fear, and it eclipses all other emotions. And he's like, oh, that's the good shit. <laughs> Oh, beautiful, so vibrant, so gentlemanly. Mm-hmm. And so he kills her and then goes on to kill his estranged father and then becomes Jack the Ripper, serial killer. Because his father's name was Jack. Mm-hmm. And Jack uh, Smith. Yep, yep. So. Yep, generic name. I, my favorite part, finds that his like steampunk top hat was just laying on the ground in London and he <laughs> picks that up off the ground and puts it on. Yep. Yeah. Would, would you pick it up if you just found it and sitting in the middle of the street? There's also a pretty good point in that Jack is still covered in his mother's blood when he goes over to um, Jack Smith's playwriting thing. And Jack Smith is the most composed individual ever because he sees the child covered in blood. It's like, oh, my. Oh, you must be one of my fans. Did you want me to autograph something? He he is in the middle of freaking out, but trying to calm down the situation because just like on his posture and the way that his uh, speech bubble is fonted, it's like he's like, oh, you must be a fan. He, he wants some money and an autograph, maybe. Oh, that makes sense, actually. <laughs> and Jack the Ripper goes, no, I, I just came here for revenge. Father cut throat with knife, which is unfortunate because. I don't know if he's truly at fault here. I think Jack's gone full serial killer at this point. I, I think fault matters so little. Uh, yeah. Jack Smith is not someone who deserved death. He certainly holds responsibility for the situation, but our Jack doesn't care. But you could ask, did he even know that Jack existed in the first place? Did he know that this woman was holding on to this hope in any fashion. I mean, that doesn't matter because it, yeah. it's all about Jack getting revenge. It's about Jack feeling better. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I get that, but I have more questions about the background. It, it's it's fairly implied that Smith didn't know because you know Jack the Ripper calls him father and he's got a look on his face of, oh, fuck. Like he's got that dawning realization look of, oh, no, uh oh. That prostitute I haven't seen in 10 years. Uh-oh. Yeah, if I if I had to wager a bet, like how the story is portrayed, what, I, what I'm going to assume the background is, is Jack's mother kept the child, told the playwright, hey, I'm pregnant. And he's just like, well, I'm going to make an honest woman of you, but I'm a poor playwright now. So once I'm famous, I'll come back for you and the child. Obviously, I want to care for my child. But once I'm famous, I'll have enough money to provide for us and then proceeded to forget this person existed. Or yeah. 
or just swiftly extricated himself from the situation like bullet dodged let's go smith let's get out of here <laughs> let's go smith <laughs> everyone will know the name smith <laughs> yes johan von generico <laughs> it's like the inverse of awesome but cool name <laughs> that is uh jack's backstory fear is now his favorite color and that's why he became a serial killer primarily women from that day forward so i i think in the universe of ragnarok jack the ripper is not strictly a serial killer of women it's just that's what he got attributed to him publicly we see a, a sort of disjointed flashback of him killing a whole bunch of people of varying ages and genders Mm. and seeming status in society by their clothes. The fact that he murdered prostitutes was the most famous thing he did. He, in this universe, he's probably responsible for way more murders that they never attributed to him. Yeah, I'm also, in all fairness, mythologizing uh, Jack the Ripper is not an unusual thing to do. The other, the other thing is that they keep talking about how Jack the Ripper in particular is the most evil human being that there has ever been. Well, they do that specifically because he shows no remorse and there's no real logic behind it. That applies to a lot of historical figures, though. But like, this is very much the case where they're specifically mythologizing the character they chose to use in this particular story. I'm like, you couldn't put in like John Wayne Gacy or something? And uh, he doesn't have the same uh, panache, does he? I don't even know who that is. I want to see someone dress like a party clown and fight the gods. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, you know Sam. That is, so. John Wayne, he's the he uh, killed a bunch of children while dressed as a party clown. I've never heard of this. Uh, he uh, look him up. He's got like literally the most documentaries of any American serial killer. Like he's very famous. Was he the guy who inspired Psycho or was that somebody else? I think that was someone that was um, I think that was Bates. Oh, that was Bates. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. No, that, that guy had a mother complex. Bates is the character in the movie. Oh, right, right, right. Uh, that was inspired by someone who had like the mother complex. Had the though. mother complex. Yeah, I think yeah. you're right about that. Jo John Wayne Gacy's whole thing was he um, lured uh, homosexuals. And mm -hmm. like, like the famous story about him is one of the guys he drugged, like ran to the police. Like, and they the police returned him to John Wayne Gacy because he's like, sorry, my boyfriend did a bunch of drugs. And they were like, oh, you crazy gays, because it was the 60s. So they were like... Yeah. 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 This is literally the first time I've ever heard of this individual. Oh, look him up. He's got literally. I am, I am looking him up and I've never heard of him ever. There's <laughs> at least three documentaries on Netflix, I can guarantee. So tune in next Thursday for Overkiller Cast, our new spinoff. <laughs> You're joking, but that might do well. <laughs> yeah, I like And this is very unusual because I follow true crime and I've never seen his documentary show up at all funny because i've heard of john wayne gacy like i know the name look what I, what i'm saying is we're getting off base here i'm just saying if we remake record of ragnarok can we have john wayne gacy <laughs> as one of the humanities contenders oh, yes <laughs> anyway uh we get to the real story behind Jack's full wound because <gasps> gasp shock amazement the serial killer lied twice but the the way we find this out is perhaps the greatest mix up I've ever seen. Evo be damned. This is the greatest <laughs> mix of all time, because 
uh jack has this little grappling hook gun like he's in a, a friggin' 90s uh spy cartoon yeah he's been using it a few times too like i got sly cooper vibes personally mm-hmm. but uh-huh. probably was... because the 18th century london yeah, yeah. so i mean sly uh, cooper's technically france but it's the same aesthetic it's the same aesthetic and he's using this to flee up the replica of big ben and uh heracles is like you know i'm fucking heracles right boom knocks down big ben with his uh with his uh big club and you know jack is falling and he seems to be desperately grabbing onto the face of the clock and he grabs it and throws it at heracles as it seems to be this desperate play as Heracles is like, I've told you a dozen times, mortal weapons will not hurt the gods. And he goes to block it with his, they keep saying right, but it's very clearly his left arm. He goes to block the shot with his left arm and the clock face severs his arm clean off mm-hmm. at the elbow. And Jack is like, I did listen to what you said. Shock, gasp, amazement. The entire crowd is in horror and am- what and loki's like oh he actually lied twice about his alone didn't he it's the gloves oh yes made to order <laughs> and we we get the scene of how the volund happened because um I, i'm not sure if this is the first time this gets established or I, it might have been mentioned previously when volund I'm, first introduced i'm pretty sure it was brought up when volund was first uh uh revealed during the lubu fight that um specifically uh the valkyrie and the fighter must like have hearts aligned mm-hmm. like they must come to a signature purpose of what form the weapon should take so like for other ones that's been easy because they've been noble individuals that the valkyrie are like naturally inclined to go along with uh but this one jack the ripper not a noble individual and had a very specific weapon in mind that a valkyrie probably wouldn't have been happy using because they're like very noble the the valkyrie that we get hillock uh she probably would prefer to be the giant pair of scissors yes she probably would she (laughs) she was very much like i need to be shining and glorious a divine weapon of the gods but jack needs something sly and tricky so uh he it's implied he is choked inflicts her with the fear that he was so uh potent at inflicting on people Mm -hmm. and in that he fills her heart with the same feeling like uh, their hearts are unified but by force Mm -hmm. so the weapon becomes exactly what jack wanted which is the only reason this entire plan could work it's a very disturbing scene is what we're getting at Especially because this is something... It's a dude choking a little girl, so yeah, by default. And Brunhilde's in the corner watching this. Yeah, no, this this definitely casts Brunhilde in a very unfavorable light. She's like, no, you you are doing this. This is the plan. This is what we need. What you want in this this moment doesn't matter. This is what we need to finish Mm -hmm. the mission. So speaking speaking of Brunhilde, since she hasn't really come up, does anyone else get the implication that she's like possessed or something? No, no, I think she just has like the exaggerated laugh they use for she's a lot of people. She's also like just very dedicated to her to her job, her task at hand to the point where it kind of blinds her to or not blinds, but she just has blinders on to accomplish the end. 
Because the detail that I noticed once was like she does like this weird villain laugh and like she gets like a snake tongue and then like covers her face. See, here's the way I, I know the panel you're thinking of. This is the way I read it. It's she like covers her face in a way that like pushes her face up into this grotesque like Joker laughing mask. I, I feel like. Because throughout the three other fights we've seen, she's been very gung-ho, rah-rah, the gods kick their ass. And she needed to keep that expression up for the trick to work. It seemed to me like she was forcing her face into the mask that all the other onlookers would expect her to have on right now. Well, no, the, the panel I'm talking about was the panel I'm talking about was she was alone with Greer picking. Oh, selecting okay. Jack the Ripper. So here's the thing. She's still lying to Greer. Yeah, I, I get that. It's it's just one of those ones where it's like I noticed that detail and I'm like, that's weird because the other one, um, like during the fight, like mm -hmm. she starts using like leet speak and Greer's like, wait, what are you talking about? <laughs> and I just sort of got the impression that like, is she like possessed or something? Because like I, there's a there's a non zero chance this isn't going to go anywhere because it's record of Ragnarok. But like I couldn't help but notice that. I don't think she's possessed in the context of like possessed by a spirit. I think she's just possessed by the emotions of the moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think what's happening is like this entire through line with Brunhilde in this arc is um, she's pretending that she's all for the gate, like humanity first. Mm -hmm. The humans need to win no matter what. We will do whatever necessary. I am sacrificing our brother Her Heracles. Mm -hmm. And I am happy Jack is going to kill him. We'll, we'll cut to the end, because at the end, it's revealed that was just all a brave face she's putting on. Because she breaks down sobbing at the end, yeah. Mm. yeah. And it's it's revealed she's got, like, a little shrine in the back where um, she has the picture of Adam, the picture of Lubu, and finally she prepares a third altar for, spoiler alert, in case this is an obvious, uh, Heracles dies in this fight. Yeah. Uh, he gets his own altar in with humanity and she's like brother i hope you don't mind because when all of this is over i will be joining you volund with hlock allows anything that jack touches to become a divine weapon uh, specifically with the gloves yeah with the gloves and so the fighting continues uh, uh herc is down an arm uh jack falls and gets impaled on a freaking uh fence post as if we weren't doing enough jojo references <laughs> uh that's a moment from part three for the initiated uh and you know it's it's looking like jack is just barely on his feet he's bleeding out from several wounds like cupping at his injuries trying to keep his blood in uh he dropped he drops a church on herc at one point which i thought was very poignant mm -hmm. <laughs> And uh, the heavy hand the, of symbolism. This entire time, the gods have been cheering for uh, Heracles, including a small section of humanity. Notably, Alcides' old friends from Thebes are cheering <laughs> for him. When the church is dropped on him, it's like, oh no, has he finally been defeated? And he, you know, punches his way out because, of course, not. And uh, you know, Heracles returns from the underworld is actually a line from Heimdall because he's a dramatic bitch, and I love him. <laughs> I mean, not far, though, considering what he does immediately after. <laughs> yeah, he's like Herculean Exodus, 12th labor, the Hound of Hades. 
as he uh, activates his Gatai, summons Kerberos, fuses with him into this giant rage monster. He gets oh. a super form. You got a. We got to examine this, how they fuse, though, because what I thought was he was offering both his arms to Cerberus because the two heads on each side bite his arms and then the final one bites down on his head. And then he gets like this cool black tattoo armor mm -hmm. with huge like canine uh, claws and on his hands and feet. And he, he looks metal as hell. He's still missing most of the one arm that was cut off by the clock tower, though. And it's like, huh, the tattoo will constantly grow in this state. He either takes out Jack now or he's going to be defeated. So enters the final battle as Jack picks up a shattered door as a club, as a sword and shield mm -hmm. with the divine imbuing, which I thought was pretty neat. Uh, yeah, the the um, piece of fence that he had been impaled on, he picks up as the uh, the sword and that sword and board combo. No, no, he actually uses a piece of wood. The the piece of fence he's keeping hidden in his sleeve. Oh, really? Yep. Yeah, I did not catch that, but I believe you. They have the so he has the sword and board combo of a piece of broken door. And when it looks like he's on his last legs and about to get his head punched off by Super Herc, he's he pulls out the piece of fence and stabs it through Herc's cheek and he gets punched in the side of the head. I think Loki does it aside where he says that was so clever for him to hold on to that fence post like that. One very important thing is that right before this whole final melee happened, uh, this whole time after it's revealed about the power of Jack's eye, he's like, I will make you my favorite color, Heracles, noble hero. And Herc is like, all right, try it. It doesn't matter how scummy humanity can be, how degraded, how base, how awful. There's a whole panel of just his silhouette with the angry eyes and various human crimes and all sorts of synonyms for bad and evil. Mm -hmm. And then it's the next page and he says, no matter what, I love humanity. And the pure shining light of love from Hercules, from Heracles' heart makes Jack nearly break down crying like this. This is the light I thought my mother showed me. And he he like kneels down in prayer is what happens like. But, you know, he's still Jack the Ripper. He still wants to uh, paint his victim in the color of fear. And Herc never gives in when it seems like Jack is like on his last legs, just foiling about in a state of barely a uh, consciousness. Kirk is about to go and defeat him because he had promised, I will free you from your suffering. And as he's going in for the final blow, Jack's hands drenched in his own blood, his blood turns to a divine weapon and he drives his hands as if lifting them to the face of God in prayer through Heracles' chest. Through all 12 feet of his chest. Yep. <laughs> yes. Jack's arms are very long, we've established. <laughs> But uh, this technique I love is called Dear God in Honor of You. Mm -hmm. He dedicates this technique to the person he's killing. And <sighs> Heracles gives him a big old one-armed hug and says, you didn't change my color, did you? No, it's my loss. Mm -hmm. And then... Uh... Heracles turns into dust and floats away. And I realized we skipped over uh, a little to bit. The, yeah. To the immense distraught of everybody. 
no one is happy by this but uh we we did skip over a bit i want to talk about very briefly uh so jack has this thing where he sings uh london bridge is falling down over and over again yeah except uh it's trans it's written in english in the art so it's london bridge is breaking down and yeah. i'm i'm not sure if that's on purpose because it fits his character mm -hmm. but also <laughs> but also that's not the song who knows i just thought it was funny mm -hmm. but uh herc loves humanity his color is love no fear could be brought to his heart and now it's tied at two to two yeah and uh jack it's very hurt like he's been stabbed to the side like yeah. um the, his... the, vol the volund ends and hawk is like Ugh, that was terrible. That was awful. I need a shower. Go, go to the infirmary. You're gonna die from those wounds if you don't. Ugh, God, ah, ugh. Yeah, yeah. I, I do like how when the Volund ends from Hillock, we at least get like the interpretation that it was very creepy the initial scene, but her response to after the fight's over, like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> cool. <laughs> I'm out. Still See covered and still covered in Jack's blood. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it, it, it's more like this is just something I really didn't want to do. Which I appreciate it at least. Mm. Yeah, because the the way that the way that the scene initially was played is that uh, she's being bratty for not accepting her what her part in the plan is, and then Jack's, and then we get several panels of Jack like waxing mm -hmm. poetic as he's choking a small child. Yeah, yeah. Which kind of mm. changes the context, but it goes back to being what it was initially once she's which uh, is which is. She was probably told what the full plan was and then yeah, just and didn't she go agreed along with, with it. it. Yeah. yeah, and then yeah. she agreed with it and then decided, oh, that sounds dumb. I actually don't want to do it anymore anyway. It, it gives me more peace of mind about Jack, which helps the ending a little. Yeah. It's it's like, OK, but mm -hmm. uh, basically Jack is hobbling his way into like the back to humanity's quarters. Uh, but he does not even make it to the gate before he starts getting pelted with stones. Because by the, by the angry crowd, give us our hero back. Yeah, because humanity would prefer to have had Hercules win than Jack. But we do, we do have one of my favorite moments. Mm -hmm. uh, Alcides, uh, old friend from Thebes, he's about to lift a stone and join in the uh, join in the pelting when he remembers the moment where Heracles made the gods swear that they wouldn't interfere with humanity's affairs and they wouldn't harm humans anymore. And it's just that panel. You will not swear to me. You will not harm humanity anymore. And cursing, he can't bring himself to do it. He drops the stone without flinging it at Jack and just kneels there. It, <laughs> it's shockingly poignant for this extremely blunt manga. <laughs> yep. And it's also got another bit of... Um... Uh, William Shakespeare, I think, right? Yeah, it is Shakespeare. Because uh, Sir Doyle is like, man, I feel so icky about this. That guy was really fucked, wasn't he? And Shakespeare essentially just says like, yeah, he was pretty bad, but I mean, he was human nonetheless. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. humanity is yep, multifaceted. Yep. And every time that I like on those. Um, well, on those blog posts when everyone's just like, this person is not even human. I, I don't even feel comfortable sharing my humanity with them. And it's like someone has to come into the chat and 
you know, reference that. No, you just don't want to acknowledge that humanity can go to the depths of depravity. Mm -hmm. Which, in all fairness, is something Brunhilde says at one point, is that um, one of humans' greatest strengths is that they can be malicious. Yeah, the gods will never be able to mimic uh, humanity's malice. And uh, after this, we do get the scene of Brunhilde finally breaking down her facade now that she's got her W. Uh, she locks herself in a room with three altars, uh, one to Adam, one to Lubu, and then a blank one where she places down. Um, is it an urn or is it just a cup of water? It, it's a goblet that's I think is supposed to be implied to be filled with wine. OK, so, yeah, she puts down a goblet for uh, Heracles and she says, brother. Um, I know. I hope she doesn't even say i hope she says i know you would understand mm -hmm. and then implies very strongly that when ragnarok is over no matter what happens uh she is also going to niflheim mm -hmm. she's also going to die i hope you'll wait for me there mm -hmm. and then oh, yeah. we get a brief teaser of our uh next representative of humanity we're going back to japanese swords people <laughs> Yep. Just telling you, there's an obvious bias here. There's at least three fighters. But uh, it's this youngish looking person saying, man, this is a real honor to be involved in this. That was an intense last fight. I wonder when my turn is. It's like, well, the camera's focusing on you, so I think it's next time. He doesn't <laughs> see the camera, Sam. I know. In camera. Anyway, <laughs> let's let's wrap this up. Yep. Uh, discussion questions. Uh, if it's changed from last time, favorite character. Uh, as I said, the the entire we didn't talk about it much because we had to you know get through it. But the entire Jack versus uh, Herc fight really made me like Ares because Ares uh, is deeply emotionally involved in this because he loves Hercules as much as everyone else does because he's a shining golden boy baby face. And he specifically says, I count this man as one of my closest friends. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and uh, even though he is distraught by the end of it, he is uh, emboldened by the nobility of Heracles and says, I will take the lesson that he, uh, that he taught us with his final moments and I will uh, face Ragnarok with the same uh, with the same stoicism mm -hmm. and I really enjoyed that and I don't think it uh, needs to be said that I enjoyed the uh, Jack versus Herc fight way more than the other one <laughs> mm -hmm. it, it had everything I love it had uh, big epic moments it had uh, unreasonable levels of nobility and heroism it had trickster hero shit uh, it, it, it was my cup of tea mm -hmm. Nope. Mm -hmm. uh, all the puns intended. Uh, Jacob, we'll we'll uh, get, we'll get to you because I know we all know your opinions on this manga. But uh, um, favorite character Heracles is exactly my kind of character, and he is he actually has a consistent through line where one of the most important elements of the way that he views humanity is that. Simply the fact that people like Jack the Ripper exist does not invalidate the value of humanity. Mm -hmm. And I, li I, I like and appreciate that in a character. And the...
the second fight with him and Jack the Ripper wasn't just here's my next level of power I didn't tell you about. It actually had some level of flow to it. And honestly, fairly enjoyable. If if more of this series was the second fight, I would definitely have a much higher opinion of it as a sort of turn your brain off fun sort of thing, because it definitely hit that button for me. Um, which, which let me tell you, folks, that's impressive. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, definitely the I I much preferred the second fight. Um I feel like I feel like it handled the twists better in that like I don't know, cuz like they still came out of nowhere, but it it felt more built to as opposed to just Poseidon saying, "Oh, by the way, I've always been stronger." And like like fundamentally my problem with that fight was like even at the end I did like you 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 can't know if that's the end of the fight or not until they move on to the next fight cuz Poseidon could have just said, "Well, I'm always deeper." Mm. As opposed to um again, there was a flow to Jack versus um Heracles. And again, Heracles is very much my kind of character generally speaking, so nice. Uh Jay, favorite character from this reading and favorite fight? Um, to be quite honest, I didn't really have a favorite character from this fight. I did have a favorite fight, though. Um, my favorite fight would have to be the um, Jack the Ripper and Heracles, only because they're I particularly like the flashbacks and the fact that it was given some depth to the characters that I could actually, mostly because I'm familiar with Jack the Ripper, so mm -hmm. I was able to really attach there. But yeah, I didn't have a favorite character. <laughs> and yeah. All right, and Matt. Okay, yeah, um, so I'll mimic everyone else. Uh, Jack the Ripper Heracles is just clearly a better fight. Um, it, it's really a breath of fresh air for me because uh, even I was starting to get a little bored of the premise of um, two big tough guys fight each other, which um, is pretty much been what the last three have been with uh, Kojiro technically being I'm not a big tough guy fighting a tough guy, but he does turn into a tough guy by the end, so... It, it was still two dudes hitting each other real hefty. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. at, at the very least, I appreciated like the more like intellectual part of Jack the Ripper and like the hamminess. Because like if you're going to do a manga that is essentially like an, a wrestling match, lean into the ham. Mm -hmm. Like Jack the Ripper knows he's a heel and like is happy with it. And Poseidon also knew he was a heel and he's a good heel. But like. Jack the Ripper went extra. So I guess I'd say he's a favorite character, but just to be different, I'll say um, I really liked Loki in this because he has a significant character shift from I'm just dicking around, you know? None of this is any important to I'm legitimately angry and <laughs> need to, like, Loki is clearly setting up for his fight because he he's on the roster. Yep. But um, yeah, I'll, I'll say that. All right. Uh, and the would you continue reading? Uh, I would mostly uh, I'm not going to say this time that I continue reading on the manga's own merit. Uh, again, I'm with Matt that the as much as I liked Kojiro as a character and I did enjoy him very much for like his mechanics in the fight. Uh, I was kind of getting kind of bored with the formula as well by the end of that one. But uh I, I have a friend who listens to this podcast and has 
uh, read much further in Record of Ragnarok because of our recommendation. And uh, he uh, has gotten much further and has very hyped up the Buddha fight. So I want to at least get to Buddha. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, that is about it for why I would continue reading. Uh, Jake, I think I can predict your answer. Nope. Okay. <laughs> My opinion has not changed about this at all. Uh, Jay. Absolutely. I already have. Fantastic. And Matt. Uh, yeah, I, I'd say I'd continue reading. I think I'm more in line with Sam here. Is like, I don't think Record of Ragnarok is ever something I could read like month to month. I think I'm pretty much going to permanently be in the solution. I wait for a fight to finish and then I read the fight in its entirety because otherwise. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. Thank you, everyone, for joining us here on the OverMangaCast again. Remember to follow us on all of the social medias where we are at OverMangaCast, uh, particularly on Twitter, because that's where we do the majority of our shit posting. And uh, also, we do polls. You can uh, perhaps influence the future direction of the show because uh, we're continuing revisit month <laughs> with all the breaks we've had. I, I don't know, but we're continuing our revisits. And Matt was being indecisive. Yeah, yeah, as I as I am want to do. Uh, so I I put up a poll. Uh, gonna date the episode. You're gonna know when this is. Uh, so fun job. Um, uh, where uh, I. Didn't know what to do for my pick, so I put up a bunch of things we've already read and got those voted on. Uh, the winner was uh, Demon Slayer, so we're going to be reading uh, chapters 20 through 44 of that. Mm -hmm. Which includes the Natagumo Mountain arc. So if you are caught up with the anime, and you should be because it's brilliant, you know we're going to hit that moment. Ominous. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, uh, if you want to drop us a review um, on your podcast app of choice or, you know, just a YouTube comment, we have all the episodes up there as well. Mm -hmm. uh, we love to hear from you. Yes. And uh, thank you, everyone, for tuning in. We'll see you next Thursday. Good night. Good night, Good night everyone. everybody.